electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the great big bounce for stocks. Is it getting closer? Maybe it's even started. We've got our hands on an influential new research note today that says, yes, stocks can rally from here. We'll let you know the call, and we, of course, will debate it with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Shannon Sakosha, Rob Seach, and Pete Najarian, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. And right here with me on set today, Bryn Talkington and Steve Weiss. It is so good to have you both in the house. Let's check stocks right now. Highs of the day, we'll call it that for the NASDAQ. About three and two-thirds percent there, 11,787. It's better than 400 points. Same, better than 400 points for the Dow, 32,195. Able to get 32 back there. That's almost one and a half percent. S&P 500, almost highs of the day, back above 4,000. 290 is the yield on the 10-year note. Bryn, we've been oversold, right? We've been way oversold. S&P basically got to 20% down from, it, from its all-time or from its 52-week high. Um, we were right there yesterday. Is this the start of something that people have been looking for, a bounce and a meaningful one? Well, we're definitely having one today, but the end of the day is going to tell, if it's, tell us if it's going to stick. I think that we saw earlier this week the Nasdaq got to only 6% of stocks were above their 200-day moving average. That is the most oversold since 2020 when we saw only 3%. So the Nasdaq, you know, writ large has been very oversold. But really, I think today is about the small cap growth names. Mm-hmm. We've seen a lot of the names up 10, 15, and 20%. But once again, when stocks go down 60 to 70%, those moves on a daily basis seem big, but they still have so far to run. But I do think, though, that sentiment in the short term, in the short term, has definitely sh- shifted. But let's see if we can get it to close at these levels. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be key. All right, so I mentioned this this note, uh, Weiss, that we got our hands on today from uh, GFR Macro, right? They, they count big hedge funds and institutions as, cl- as clients. Not easy to get a, a, a hand on their stuff. They say that their target for a, a, a bounce is 43.42, so above 4,300. They talk about the Kathy Wood short, as they call it, is likely over. Bryn references some of these growth names, which have absolutely ripped. Um, and they say that is some evidence that you're going to get a sizable bounce from here. It's not not doesn't mean that the bottom is necessarily in, but that we're poised for a big bounce. That's minimum eight percent there. Yeah. And it could happen. You see bear market bounces of 10 percent or more in some days okay. and some weeks. And that could be it. Look, as bearish as I am, I've been expecting a bounce. I'm not participating in it because I really don't think they're tradable. And I defy anybody who says they're tradable to tell me how because the volatility is so huge. Look at yesterday. Look at the day before. So we'll continue to see this. But I'm not going to change my thesis because the market's short-term oversold when I think that the conditions that are costing me to be bearish are still in play. And that's very high inflation, as we saw the day before yesterday. That's going to continue. And by the way, consensus now is that the Fed won't be able to get inflation down below 4 4.5%. 
for a year or two years. So you're looking at persistently high inflation. It's twice what their target is going forward. You're starting to see earnings revisions on the downside. A strong dollar is going to cause that to happen even more with the S&P. So look, um, as I said before, I'm going to be the last one probably to call the turn because I'm so bearish and I've been so bearish so long. Does that mean that you're that not going to you're not doing any, you're not buying anything in anticipate of a bounce that you, even no. you say can happen? No. And, and in fairness, I just haven't felt compelled, given other stuff that I'm looking at in the private markets, to spend the time doing it. I'm close. I do think you're close to buying selectively some stocks, but not going wholesale in because you've got private equity valuations in terms of EBITDA and cash flow, free cash flow yields in the market that I think are sort of generational. Doesn't mean they won't get cheaper, but I think you can leg into some of those stocks. You've got to be very, very selective. So, Shannon, I mean, the moves that we've seen, I mean, ARK is up 10% today, right? The ARKK, the Innovation Fund, is up 10% as we're having this conversation. From Wednesday's closed, uh, Innovation's up 17%, Robinhood's up 31%, Roku's up 23%, DraftKings 23%, Teladoc 16%, Twilio 19%, Roblox 36%. What are we to make of that? Is that where we think maybe this sizable bounce, if you want to call it that, starts? And then it needs some follow-through from some other important names that we'll talk about in a minute. But how do you assess it right here? Yeah, I, I think the, the latter part of your point, Scott, is the most important piece is that this is not going to change the trajectory of how most U.S. investors are going to perform over the next couple of weeks. Um, a lot of the, the retail investors have moved out of these names already. Um, we are seeing, obviously, some, some significant dip buying here, um, particularly today in some of these companies. But in terms of what's going to work over the next couple of years, whether or not you believe that we're going to have 4% inflation, we're going to have higher inflation, we're going to have slower growth. Um, and I think that when you're looking at your portfolio, if the follow through doesn't happen in sectors like industrials, in technology, in healthcare, in the back half of this year, um, these short term rallies that we're seeing are not going to be sustainable. So I continue to look at companies that have strong free cash flow, have strong balance sheets, and most importantly, are making money from a profitability standpoint. I think that's when you start to see a shift in the market, because those are the companies that are actually going to drive index returns. Pete, we made a big deal the other day about these puts that you had on, right? Remember that? We did your calls early in the mm -hmm. show, and we yep. said Pete's got these puts, and they were specifically, mm -hmm. or for the most part, related to ARC. I'm, I'm wondering, yes. you know, finance, the ARC Financial Fund, talking fintech, the innovation fund fintech. itself. Mm -hmm. So where are you on those today, given this move that we've had? Yeah, I'm still in uh, those, Scott. I did trim again. We talked about I trimmed the other day. I trimmed again yesterday. We hit new 52-week lows again yesterday before this big turn that we're seeing at the end of yesterday and into today. So the st it, they're, they're going up enough now where one of mine is going to go off completely. What's left of it is going to go off worthless. It was a great trade, though, and that's the ARC-F. Now, the ARC-K, I actually have a little bit more time out into the future for that one to perform. So I'm still holding on to what I've got there as well, Scott. But yeah, that put buying was absolutely dead on. They absolutely nailed it in terms of short-term looking for these to really pull back in a big way. That's exactly what happened. But like everything else in this market, you've got to be extremely disciplined. We talk about the velocity of these moves all the time. Scott, give you a great example of that. And, and, and if you don't mind, I'd love to hit the VIX real quick. Everybody said, hey, look, we need the volatility index to hit 40 before we can turn. That may be true still, and I'm not saying that we aren't still in that position, but 
Today, you've got the volatility index back underneath 30, so you're trading at 29. We had four times this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the VXN, which is the volatility index of the NASDAQ, mm -hmm. closed above 40 for the first time in a year. Actually, it was November or October of 2020, the last time we were at those levels closing. So we had four closes over 40 this week. That gives you a little bit of a sense of, all right, maybe there's a pullback and maybe that gives the opportunity for these stocks start start making a move to the upside so, on the NASDAQ side. But that was a big jump and a big bunch of closes, Scott. You, you make a great point, Pete, in that those who have been looking for, they say, now we haven't seen the worst because we haven't had the historical right. uh, capitulation that we're so used to, to be able to at least more confidently declare that the bottom is in. However, maybe we were looking at the wrong VIX. Maybe it is the yes, VXN <laughs> that suggests you did, in fact, get it. Why? Because the NASDAQ was the epicenter of where the sell-off took place to begin with, or at least was most acute, right? right? The NASDAQ suffered <laughs> the most damage. Yeah. So thus, the VXN, which you have, to your credit, highlighted repeatedly on this show, Pete, maybe that's the place that we need to keep our eyes on the most. And if you're going to get a sustainable move higher, it has to come from the NASDAQ stocks and not necessarily the Kathy Wood names, but the mega caps. The right. apples and the ones right. that really got Absolutely. people feeling bad about the market, because if they rolled and rolled hard, there's no way the market was going to be able to do anything. No, that's exactly right, Scott. I totally agree. And I think that VXN has been an interesting one. I'm not saying necessarily that we've hit the bottom and we're ready to run to the upside. That's not what I'm saying. But those four closes over 40 is a statement. And now that we've actually broken back down today, we'll see if this can last more than a single day. And obviously yesterday, Look at the rallies at the end of the day. In the final hour, we went 500 points higher on the Dow. We went like 300 points higher on the NASDAQ from those lows to actually close where we did. So that just shows you we are in a market that it's extremely volatile. But going into the weekend, you can price that in as well. That's why you're seeing the VIX, I think, underneath 30. It's also why you're seeing the VXN pull back the way it is. We'll have a better read probably next week early on. NASDAQ's up better than 4% this moment, 456. I'm looking right now. Dow's up better than 500 yeah. points, too. So we're at the highs of the day. Rob Seachin, how do you see it? What are you telling your clients? You know, uh, we've been talking about this on the show, on both your shows, Scott, uh, that we've been rotating to quality. And the reason is you have to stay invested. Um, we don't think this mar uh, this bounce is going to be sustained. We think this is a bear market bounce. But one of these rallies will be sustained. And if you just look at what's happened, I was, I was taking a peek through our portfolios, our growth and our dividend portfolios, and you have stocks that are rated very high on the quality scale, H&R Block, AutoZone, Regeneron, that are all up for the year, O'Reilly, which is down less than the market. You have in, in the dividend names, EOG, Lockheed Martin, AbbVie, all doing really well because they're high quality businesses. Of course, we own some of the others, you know, the, the Microsofts, the JP Morgans and the like, which have taken some gas. But you have to stay invested through this, and I think investors have to upgrade to quality. I think what you've seen is markets pricing in a greater recession risk over the last two weeks, and we still think that is all dependent on what happens with the war and what happens with the lockdowns in China. The lockdown news this morning was good, and markets are so oversold, they're looking for something positive to hang on to. We don't think this is the bottom. We think you have to stay you have to stay a little more conservative. We think that looks like owning quality and having a little more cash, 
which is what we're doing for clients. Okay. So, Bryn, um, I mentioned this this GFR uh, note. On the issue of whether anything is sustainable or not, to, to Rob's point, even though he doesn't think it is, they suggest that you need to watch a certain group of stocks to see if it has staying power. Home Depot, Google, Starbucks, Caterpillar. We mentioned Apple, but those kind of stocks are the ones that they're looking for. That makes sense to you? Yeah, when you think about it, Star- Starbucks is going to be supply chain, commodities, and employees. Home Depot is going to be the consumer. And so I think that's a, that's a good roundup of names. I think, though, that people have to understand this is not going – I don't think this is going to be a March 2020 or a 20, fourth quarter 2018 when you bounce off and you quickly move back higher. Because both times, what happened? In 2018, the Fed pivoted. And in 2020, the Fed came in. And so this is just a, I think, a somewhat of a paradigm shift that we may have found a bottom today. We may have found a bottom next week or next month, but it's just going to be a lower grind. It's going to be a slower grind going forward. And so I think investors need to be patient, but I don't think investors need to be pivoting totally out of growth or just ignoring them and just buying, you know, old, old time free cash flow companies and just saying growth is dead forever. You know, I'm going to be as dismissive of that note and that comment as you would expect. Well, me to I, be. I would expect nothing less. Exactly. And, and I beat right you the punch on that. The fact that you're right here doing it in front of me, I mean, is, is right. just even more, <laughs> and, more perfect. And, and I would uh, Pete, say, don't you worry. I got something good for you, Pete, coming up because I just saw a tweet from somebody <laughs> and I cannot wait to bring something up with you. Just a second. Uh, and, That's and a I'm tease glad, and a good uh, one. Go I'm ahead. glad to be here, Scott. I'm not happy to see how the pandemic's aged yeah. you, but maybe that's dealing with me that's yeah. done that. Uh, but here's what I'd say. You should be so <laughs> lucky. Caterpillar, <laughs> Caterpillar has been irrelevant in terms of the overall market for an extended period of time, as has Starbucks. While the market's gone up dramatically up until this point, those stocks have been basically nothing. Caterpillar did have a run at the end of last year and with the commodities, but you know, I'm a little, I guess, exhausted from so many people coming out trying to find tea leaves and read those that don't exist. And this falls into that category. They're losing sight of the bigger picture, which are declining estimates, which are China, which is still back on its heels with the China potential China-Taiwan conflict with Russia, with Ukraine with energy being cut back and and no ability to cut back on energy pricing. So, you know, read me another one tomorrow about somebody else find something else that's meaningless. It'll make my day. But I mean, it has to this is not necessarily meaningless. If you can get some sort of hold up in the, the, the stocks that matter the most, they don't matter the most. My point. Some so they're do. trying to well, say Apple matters. Apple, Apple might Apple, matter Apple, the most. Apple matters a little, matter but we most. went through periods a of little time. Apple matters a little. It matters a little. Exactly. It matters a lot. Uh, why doesn't it matter a lot? Because I, we went through extended, why do we need to have this argument? Because we went time? through extended periods in the market <laughs> okay. where Fang did not participate. Pete can laugh all he wants. Hopefully he finds something funny I'm, his brother's saying I'm to laughing, him. I'm, but it's just I'm not factual. Too. I will say, though, on those companies, <laughs> it is a yeah. hyena Pete. into different factors inside the global economy. And so I think for that reason, understanding the consumer with Home Depot, understanding commodity and wage inflation with Starbucks, I do think it's something of note. I, I, I agree with Steve, but I wouldn't say to dismiss it because it definitely gives you insights into what's happening into the economy up and down the supply chain and up and down labor market i don't want to hold this tweet anymore because it's just too good pete snoop dogg has just tweeted right. that we may have two uh we may have to buy twitter now he said gonna replace the board of directors with jimmy from my corner fish fry tommy chung and the guy with the ponytail on cnbc are you interested pete maybe you and snoop should connect I'm in. I am he in. literally just tweeted that i'm absolutely in <laughs> 
I didn't see it, but I am in. I'm all in. I'll tell you what, working with Elon Musk would be phenomenal. So absolutely, Scott. Well, maybe you wouldn't be <laughs> I working get with, back at Snoop uh, Maybe soon. you wouldn't be working with Elon. You'd be working with the D-O-double-G. But you guys maybe have to have a conversation <laughs> off, offline. But I didn't want to hold that anymore. It was New love for Snoop, by the way, how he classified Pete. I think he found the perfect cohort. The guy with the ponytail on CNBC. We love that. We'll get back to that story a little bit later. Um, perhaps. Shannon, th this idea, though, that maybe this can have some kind of staying power. Nobody is, is n nope, not GFR, the note that I quoted. I, I don't hear anybody coming on here and suggesting, oh, we, you know, we're back to a bull market or anything like that. But we did get to a point where we were oversold. Now, maybe that gets you no more than a ham sandwich and a bag of chips, but it could be worth something to at least get you out of the doldrums about where we were. Well, if you look at historical precedent, Scott, which I know, you know, you can put some credit in or some faith in. Um, if you look at declines uh, in excess of, I think it's 12 or 13 percent um, outside of a recessionary period, uh, you know, 12 months later, it does show that those those losses have been recovered. And so, again, we can sit here and talk about whether a recession is coming in 22 or 23 or 24. Um, there will be a recession because there always is a recession. Uh, but I think in this environment, what you're really talking about is people are trying to project out the second half of the year and see if we get somewhere close to a you know small single-digit loss or closer to even for the year. I don't think anyone's sitting here talking about getting to 12% gains on the S&P 500 this year. I think more, more importantly, does this period provide opportunities, and Steph talked about this with you earlier this week, does it provide opportunities to revamp, reposition re your portfolio for the next three or four years? I would say that's the period we're in over the next two to three months. Really looking at names that you want to hold into a slower growth environment, not necessarily trying to time it by the day, um, but there are growth names to Brin's point that would be great additions to your portfolio. Technology is not dead, innovation is not dead, and if we go into a lower growth environment, you need to find earnings growth that's outside of secular tailwinds. Okay. Can we move higher? It's felt so bad lately, as all of you know. The question is, can we move higher? Our next guest has been negative. Jonathan Krinsky, the chief market technician at BTIG. Why is he on right now? Because he just dropped a note a little while ago that he sent to us that says a bounce is overdue. But how high can it go? That's the question you ask. What's the answer? Yes, Scott. So we uh, we think we're at a time where, you know, let's take a step back. So since February, we've been looking for, you know, moved sub 44,000 the S&P. We got to 3860 a couple of days ago, but it was never about the absolute level. It was more it was more about, you know, what is the price action telling you when you're at that level? And today, still early, but as of uh, a little while ago, we had more than 90 percent of uh, NYSE volume was in advancing stocks. Now, if you recall, we'd been looking for 90% downside days as kind of signs of selling exhaustion or capitulation. We got a few of those in the last week or so, and now we have the opposite, right? We have a huge surge in demand. It's the it would be the first 90% advancing volume day since June of 2020. So it's pretty rare occurrence. Um, and so we think, you know, despite the fact that we didn't get that final washout, we didn't get the VIX curve inversion, we did get enough evidence um, that there was some exhaustion, and today's action kind of confirms that. Um, so we think, yeah, it's reasonable to expect to move back up to 4,200. That would be about five percent in line with the movies. Well, it'd be it'd be about from from low to high. It would be about in line with the move we saw uh, off the January lows, and it would get you back to that 4,200 level, which, by the way, was a huge support 
violation on the way down. We think it probably is going to act as resistance on the way up. Now, I mean, the, just the other day, you were fairly negative on the market. You, you thought it would go uh, lower. And maybe then now you point to yesterday as perhaps that low that gets you to technically at least change your opinion on where we can go, at, at least in the short term. Yeah, I mean, look, there's there's a number of, of indicators that over time are pretty consistent with market bottoms. And what we got this week, we got some of them to check the box, right? And some of them didn't. You guys are talking about the VIX. We did not get a VIX curve inversion like we typically see at market bottoms. Um, we did get the percentage of stocks above the 200-day on the Russell 3000, which, again, is 98% of all stocks. We got that down to about 16% which again, we're in the ballpark. And so it's never an exact science. Ultimately, do we think you know the, the low yesterday is the low for the year or the low for this move? Probably not. But I think given the carnage under the surface, you know, at some point, look, we've, we've already seen, we, we, see, we saw a 9% rally off the lows in January, 12% off the lows uh, in March. None of those led to a bottom, right? So I don't know how you can say that this move will be the bottom, but I certainly think we're at a point in time where, you know, we're well overdue for that, you know, 8, 9, 10, even 12% relief rally. Mm -hmm. But you got to hold the, I mean, you got to have the things fall into place, right? It's nice to say at 1140, whatever, when you put out the note that as of that moment, you had 90, better than 90% up volume. You need to finish today at that same level at minimum to confirm this. Am I, am I right? Yeah, I mean, but, but look, again, there's, there's two parts of it. There's today's action, which, again, is not finished, but there's also everything we just said of, that's happened over the last few days and the last couple of weeks. And so, um, you know, sure, if we were to roll over and, and close down on the day, would, would that still mean we're going back to 4,200 imminently? Probably not. But um, I think those other things that we look for still do stand. And they suggest, again, we're in the ballpark of that kind of short term low, whether, you know, whether it was yesterday or, or a little bit lower, you know, we're, we're getting close. Um, but again, you know, if you guys were talking about nobody's calling for the resumption of, you know, of, of the bull market new highs, I think that's fair to say, um, you know, given the carnage under the surface at a minimum, you know, price levels aside, time is a component that that needs to work too. We're just, you know, we're four months off the highs of the S&P 500. Um, you know, it's still pre pretty relatively new as far as bear markets go from a time perspective. I hear you. All right, Jonathan Krinsky, I appreciate it so much. Interesting note, and I'm glad you came on to talk about it. We'll talk to you Thanks. again soon. You got just a quick comment, Bryn, to wrap that up. We'll take a quick break. Um, yeah, I mean, I just think that, um, you know, people need to take some longer perspective here. And I think we're going to get these rallies. We're going to get their dips. People shouldn't be panicking and should take these opportunities to add great companies when, when stocks are down. Some of the crew is, as a matter of fact. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we do have a number of moves to go through as well. The committee's buys and sells. We'll do it next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. 
Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Okay, let's talk about some moves the committee is making. Shannon, I'm going to begin with you. You sold URI, United Rentals. Tell me why, and then you bought Rockwell Automation, ROK. So United Rentals has been a long time holding for us. It's done very well. We've had really strong performance in the name. Um, you know, if you think about the rental equipment market, uh, as supply chains start to ease, as there starts to be better inventory, stronger inventory, to be able to purchase equipment, um, we do think that we're probably reaching, not necessarily today, but in the next couple of quarters, a near-term peak in rental activity. The flip side of that is a company like Rockwell Automation, um, down significantly more than the market this year. Uh, thinking about in the in a labor-constrained environment, the importance of industrial automation being able to affect greater productivity, greater efficiency. Um, they have a really strong backlog. Demand remains intact. Uh, and so we think even in a slower economic environment, particularly with a lot of production coming back onshore here in the United States, that they're going to benefit from that. And from a valuation perspective, just much more attractive than, than URI. Okay. So still overweight industrial, still love the space. Okay. Uh, Devon Energy, Bryn. You bought it on the day it was down 11%. It's been a favorite name of Kramer, favorite name of Lee Cooperman, favorite name now of yours. Yep, I took that opportunity. You know, I own XOP as well as a host of other energy names. I'm still very, very bullish on the space. A couple weeks ago, the energy names, along with the rest of the market, sold off. I would urge, urge the viewers to go to Devon's website and read their investor deck from this quarter's earnings. And it's just like the playbook of what type of company you want to own. They're doing share buyback. They're improving the balance sheet. They're doing stock repurchases. They have a 16% free cash flow yield versus the S&P is 5%. They raised their dividend to 8%. The S&P is about 1.5%. And so I just think there's so many check the boxes here. And so I just took that opportunity to add it to my portfolio around 62. And I look for it to be a long-term holding. Pete, you have big exposure to energy. I do. I do. I was listening to that interview the other day with you and Lee Cooperman, and he was talking about 20%. I'm actually at 30% exposure right now to energy, wow. Scott. If you include some of the clean energy along with the oil, along with the gas, um, definitely about 30% as I was going through my profile. So I continue to add to it. As a matter of fact, one of my unusual option activities later on today is going to be one of those names in the energy space as well. And it's a very popular name right now. A lot of people talking about it. But I continue to love the energy space. We did get underneath uh, 100 this week. We were at 99. Then we're right back up here at 108, 109. So I think energy is making these pauses, Scott. Nothing goes straight up, and it's going to have some pauses. I think we're going higher. Yeah, crude's at 110. That's a 4% gain yep. um, right now. All right, another big bounce for biotech after hitting new lows. Is this trade about to break out? We explore that next right here on The Half.
The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. I'm Frank Holland. Here's our CNBC News update at this hour. Israeli police were seen having a physical altercation with mourners at the funeral of Shireen Abu Akla, the Palestinian-American journalist who witnesses say was shot and killed by Israeli forces earlier this week. She was covering a military raid in the West Bank. Police claim they were forced to act after demonstrators refused their orders and stopped chanting, two stops chanting and throwing stones. Meantime, a court in Ukraine is hearing its first war crimes case following Russia's invasion of that country. 21-year-old Russian soldier Vadim Shishmarin is accused of killing an unarmed 62-year-old Ukrainian civilian in late February. The defendant faces up to life in prison if convicted. The latest from Ukraine tonight on the news, 7 p.m. Eastern here on CNBC. And the Texas Supreme Court ruling that the state can investigate parents of transgender children for child abuse. The decision comes just a few months after Texas Governor Greg Abbott issued the first ever order instructing child welfare officers to investigate gender affirming care as child abuse. The ruling overturned a lower court decision that had blocked implementation of that policy. That's the very latest. Scott, back over to you. Frank Collin, appreciate it very much. Thank you. Biotech, let's talk about it because it's bouncing back after hitting new lows. Up 3% yesterday, another 4% today. Josh Brown calling it one of the big fat pitchers in the market the other day. You own AbbVie? I do. Is that I, the one position you have? I do, but I think also, I think it is a fat pitch. Right now, you have crypto and biotech are trading very closely together. And if you think about it, people want cash flow, not cash burn right now. But, you know, Liz Ann Saunders had a great tweet the other day where more than 20% of NASDAQ biotech members are trading for less than cash. Less than cash. The last time you saw this was going back to 2002. So once again, if you can sift through the ashes or just buy like IBB or what have you, I think there's going to be some huge opportunities, but it's going to take some time. Hey, Pete, why do you choose the XBI calls over the IBB? As, as Bryn just names the IBB, why do you choose the other one? Yeah, you know, quite honestly, Scott, a lot of the time we're just kind of going through everything that's hitting for us. And if one of them hits instead of the other in terms of unusual option activity, 
that just kind of turns us on to that next one. And I don't like to usually be an ETF, so I bring that up all the time. And yet here I am in all kinds of different ETFs right now with both calls and puts. So it's a little bit different market than it's been for a while. Obviously, the volatility that we've seen. But I would also say this. These biotech companies are so different right now than they were three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, because many of them actually have great balance sheets. They aren't just somebody out there that they've got a, a hope and a prayer for something in the future. So I think that's something that's important as well, because a lot of these biotech companies now, they truly trade like pharma companies. When you look at their balance sheet, you look at their cash flow, all of those different metrics. That's what makes this a little bit more interesting. And I think there is some upside here. I know Steve's been in and out of Moderna for a long period of time. That's one of those names that obviously stands out. Look at the balance sheet there. Look at the balance sheet of an Amgen. All these various names that are in different categories, but still have these great balance sheets going forward. I think those are great companies to be a part of. I mean, AbbVie seems to be the one of choice, right? We just mentioned Bryn. Uh, Pete, you've got calls in yep. AbbVie. Shan, you own AbbVie too. Yep. We do. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Pete just made a great comment, though. I mean, feeling a lot more like an innovative pharma company than the the binary outcomes we were co we've come to expect from biotech over the course of the last 10 years or so. Um, and I would say life sciences in general, getting a lot of emphasis from investors, both on the private side and the public side. Um, and companies are really looking to shorten that window to monetization for some of these drugs, Scott. And so I think it's a it's the, the next phase of innovation when we look at over the the next five to seven years. Seats, you sold the IBB about a month ago. Mm -hmm. it, it just wasn't behaving well. It, it, risk reduction, we raised some cash, ended up being a good thing to do. We do own uh, Regeneron. It's one of our largest holdings. We like the fundamentals. We think you, you need to be a little more surgical right now versus, versus macro um, until the environment improves. Th though I will say, um, that would an uncorrelated asset at a time of uncertainty. I mean, I, I could see re-engaging there at some point when I'm more constructive on the market. We, we haven't talked to Moderna with you in a, in a long, long time. What's the current status of the position? So like every other position I have, it's been reduced, but I still own it. Uh, the thesis hasn't changed. The fundamentals haven't changed. You've got one of the cheapest stocks out there. And as, as Pete referenced, the balance sheet at the end of this year is going to be about $30 billion, which allows them to buy some other R&D, but they're going to have a science day. I think it's uh, on the 17th. I think you'll see some more. And their pipeline is, continues to grow. So I still like it. I still think it's going to be the most valuable biotech company out there as the pipeline matures. But you've reduced the position recently because of your view of the overall market? I would, yes. I've reduced the position, every position I have because of the overall I mean, market. even the ones that you love more than, than most, like this. Yeah. Like this, like Volkswagen, like, like all of them. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. Financials hovering in bear market territory. A long list of names hitting new lows. All committee members have ownership there. Are the banks a buy at these levels or should you avoid them? We'll debate that next. And financial stocks getting wrecked. But first, take a look at the market here. We're hanging around the highs of the day. Dow's good for one and a half percent, just about 500 points. NASDAQ up more than four percent. 11,841. So a little bit of relief after that really relentless, exhaustive selling that we've seen over the last many days and, and weeks for that matter. But let's talk more about the financials hitting 52 week lows this week. Let's go through the list because uh, there are so many. Bank of America, BlackRock, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, U.S. Bank, Capital One, Morgan Stanley and Citigroup. I'm sorry to have to go through the list because everybody has ownership and I don't mean to rub it in. But we're talking about losses in some cases of 30 plus percent. 
from the highs. Rob Seach and J.P. Morgan, Blackstone, Goldman, Wells. What do you mm-hmm. think now? Well, it, to me, it's no surprise that financials are off as much as they are because the markets are increasingly pricing in the risk of a recession. Um, that's not our base case, as you know, yet. Um, and so we're currently neutral. I'm, I'm tempted. I'm seduced by uh, by uh, Goldman Sachs and Wells Fargo, but we own J.P. Morgan and Blackstone. Um, I get a lot of Twitter hate on the J.P. Morgan calls that I've made on the show. And unlike Weiss, who thrives in that, I have a very thin skin. I can't take the hate. So we are we are not going in, not because of the Twitter hate to uh, Wells and Goldman, because we don't think it's time yet. So we're pausing and owning what we own. Speaking of uh, Pete Goldman Sachs. Yeah. That was it's like the one stock that you either own or bought this year. Yeah. Yeah, Goldman Sachs. And it was right around the 312, which is kind of close to where it is right now. It's a little bit below that based on this big jump that it's having today, Scott. But the one thing I would add, uh, Seach, if you're looking at Goldman Sachs versus a J.P. Morgan, I continue to pound the table on the, the price to book. And, and, and the environment that we're in, which is a trading environment, is exactly why Goldman Sachs did as well as they did on their earnings. But when you look at it one times book and then you look at J.P. Morgan trading a lot closer to what, one and a half times book or more, I think that's the reason why you, if you're going to make a change, maybe that would be the change that I would make if I were in your position. Rob? Listen, I'm tempted by that. I mean, you know, when you look at J.P. Morgan, I just think that the one issue that's driven them down a a little bit year to date has been their their cost related to their employees. I think everybody everybody suffers from from that. But they are, in my mind, the most dominant player in the space. And to the extent you do have an improving loan growth environment, I think they're going to be a much bigger beneficiary than Goldman. I, I concur that Goldman's going to do really well, typically, in a trading environment. And that's why that would probably be our next purchase if we decided to go overweight in the financial space, which we, we haven't done. I think Blackstone's much more exciting frankly, because of the matriculation of retail investors into the private space as public markets continue to have difficulty. Blackstone's been incredibly successful at raising money in that space with Jonathan Gray, Joe Dowling, all the great folks at that company that, uh, you know, know how to play that market perhaps better than anybody. All right. Uh, Weiss, Goldman and Wells, right? No, B of A. No, B of A. B of A. Yeah, look, the, I knew we were going to be in for a tough ride with the banks, and I said it before because the IPO calendar just really doesn't exist right now. Private still do, but IPO, that's where they make a lot of their money. So I would tell you that, you know, every interaction I have with the banks, I come back to Goldman having the deepest bench, being the best bank out there, period, the best risk managers. The least you see now since Solomon took over in terms of headlines versus J.P. Morgan, where you continue to see. I know, but you're so negative on the market. Are you selling some of these positions? Well, I, I, or are you I shaved them down. You know, once again, I shaved everything. Everything, but I, but I still have my positions in in B of A and Goldman. Okay, uh, and Shannon, your exposures: J.P. Morgan, Bank of New York, BlackRock, the CME, ICE, Schwab. 
Yeah, I mean, I think when we're talking about financial, Scott, it, we always go back to banks. And the thing is, it's a broad sector. So I, I look at the comments, like Pete just made a great comment about Goldman. But if you think about the volatility continuing, which I think all of us have talked to, um, look at the exchanges. Uh, you're actually benefiting from that. You don't necessarily have to decide the directionality of the market, akin to like a BlackRock, where you obviously need to see some capital appreciation. Um, but I, I think it's important to have a diversified basket in financials. But we do need to start to see some leadership here, Scott, um, from this sector if we're going to get that that sustainable boost that you talked about earlier in the show. You know, I mean, as long as you've got these, you know, recession fears hanging over the market, it's going to be awfully hard for these stocks to do anything. Not to mention the fact that you've had a bit of a change now, albeit not necessarily today, but in the direction of interest rates, right? What was a steady climb higher uh, certainly seemed to change uh, the direction this week, at least somewhat on the same recession fears that I, that I just mentioned. We'll take a quick break. we come back. Bitcoin is on pace for its worst week in a year. The investment committee has two very different trades for you on Crypto Plus. During May, we are celebrating Asian American and Pacific Islander heritage, featuring some of our CNBC teammates and contributors. Here's Joyce Chang, J.P. Morgan Managing Director. One important thing about the Asian American community is that it's not a monolith. There's real diversity of Asians that's often not recognized. So I was born in Peoria, Illinois. I grew up in rural Iowa, in Knoxville, Iowa, um, which isn't that typical. But I think growing up Chinese, one major value is humility. But in the workforce, in order to keep moving up in your career, you need to be able to promote yourself and your achievements to others. And that's a balance. It's a balance of achieving these ideals and really staying off cultures. Wild week, as you know, for crypto. Bitcoin trying to rebound back above 30,000. There it is, getting awfully, awfully close to that with a 5% gain today. It was down below 26,000 earlier in the week. So, Brent, I, I turn to you first. Uh, I had Anthony Scaramucci on overtime yesterday. Calls it technically oversold. Hasn't sold one position at all. He's got a big exposure there. What about you? You own Coinbase. You own Grayscale Bitcoin. And I want to we'll bring Weiss in in a second for a specific reason. But what do you think? Yeah, I mean, Coinbase is up. Coinbase and Bitcoin today are up huge, right? After after selling off really strong. I do think the debacle, the disaster of the Luna, the algorithmic stablecoin, um, gives me pause in terms of adding to those positions right now. Because if you go back to 2008 and remember when that reserve fund, there was one money market, one single money market that broke the buck. We had so much regulatory action from one money market. We haven't had any regulatory really framework of crypto. So I want to see how that flushes out over the next, you know, one or two months. If you're going to invest in this area, and I hate when people say they're long-term investors, so I feel like I'm saying that now, but that's just what you have to be. You have to take the long game. I am bullish on the asset class. I look to add to Coinbase, but not now, because I do want this, some of this stuff to flush out you before think, wait, I add wait, wait. to that. You think, it has, you think Coinbase has more downside? No, I think go? the whole market, which they're all very correlated, right. Coinbase is, is going to be very tied to crypto and the movement of Bitcoin and Ethereum and the other ones. I want to see what happens over the next month or so mm-hmm. with the regulatory framework. If there's any other stablecoin issues, you just want to see this play out, right? And so if it's a long-term investor, there's no hurry. If Coinbase goes to $100 and I miss the next 30 points, that's okay, because I do want to let things settle down. 
So I mentioned Weiss because, as I said to you, Bryn, you own Grayscale Bitcoin. Weiss, you're short Grayscale yeah. Bitcoin. Let's have a little yeah. conversation. Yeah, so I did, cover a, I did cover a little of it because that's such much bigger move down than I expected, but I still have a decent-sized short position in it. Uh, here's what I'd say. So, so it seems to me this is an industry that's been created now trying to find a purpose. And it's people sometimes finding a second career they want to do. But let me get it straight. I'm supposed to buy something that somebody whose name, Natoshi, an unknown individual, could have created this out of his... Whatever. Could have created this out of his cell at Leavenworth, and it's got no utility whatsoever. It's got nothing backing it up, and it's a risk asset. So if I don't like, if I'm bearish on stocks, which have assets and a lot which have cash flow, why wouldn't I be bearish on the riskiest asset out there that, once again, has no use whatsoever except to give people second careers or another revenue line? you know, pushing the infrastructure. If I were to play it, I would play it in coin because that's infrastructure and makes money off the fools that are buying Bitcoin because they think it's going to be a currency when it will never be one. So Last word to you. Tech, Bitcoin uh, and crypto and blockchain. What were you going to say? You're not calling her a fool? Is that no, what you're going to say? No, I apologize. <laughs> Is that what you're going to say? I meant the yeah, other yeah. fools. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Oh. I can write it anyway. So, so, isn't it good doing. having him back? I was well, actually no, targeting right. it at Seachin because yeah. he's got such a thin skin. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, so you have to understand blockchain, Bitcoin, Ethereum, they're technologies that have the ability to have transfer payments inside of them, right? To say that Bitcoin is going to take over the U.S. dollar, I think is not true. But look what China's doing. China's going to announce their central bank digital coin next year. They are going to monetize the blockchain. Ethereum is a technology. And so if you go back and say these are nascent technologies and we want to be in this technology and that has, a, has the ability to have money movement to me is like another bite at the early days of the internet. And that's what I believe in the technology. And when I thought it was a currency, when I was first understanding this, I was like, it doesn't make sense. But when it clicked on all these different use cases for the technology, I want to be there. I size it right. And I think that's what everyone says. They come out and they size it right. It is speculative. But I don't want to have my whole portfolio as much as I love energy right. in just one, one, one asset class. There's an important distinction. Here. You can have blockchain technology without the currency. I do believe in blockchain technology. I don't believe in the currency aspect. Oh, okay. Pete's got unusual activity coming up, and we also have final trades still to do. Stay with us. We're showing you those shares, uh, Boeing right there. You can see the drop just a few moments ago, still positive, but not as positive. Phil LeBeau, what's going on? Uh, Scott, what we have is a report from Reuters citing sources with the FAA. Uh, those sources telling Reuters that the application that Boeing submitted, and remember we talked to CEO Dave Calhoun about this uh, when they did their uh, Q1 financials, the application for recertification of the 787 Dreamliner has omissions and that they're going to be sending it back to Boeing. The reason that this stock is not falling more and the reason that it's still slightly positive, obviously the market has a lot to do with that, but this has been a constant back and forth between the FAA and Boeing. This is clearly not good news. If you're a Boeing shareholder, you'd rather see an outright approval or you'd like to see some positive news here. But this is not a major setback. This is not a case where the FAA has come back and said, Go back to the drawing board completely. They are in constant communication with each other. 
But again, at this point, it's clear the FAA, at least sources telling Reuters, the FAA is saying to Boeing, you still have more work to do before we can certify the 787 inspection plan so you can begin deliveries again. Yeah. And maybe your context and, and color here, Phil, is, uh, you know, helping investors have a little better perspective. The stock is coming off of the 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 initial point of the drop. It's 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 positive. It's not as positive. It's also why the Dow right. maybe lost just a tiny bit of, of steam also being dragged a little bit by exactly. by that news. Uh, Phil, appreciate it very much. Uh, very helpful. In that. Phil LeBeau with the context there. Let's do unusual activity right now. Pete, what do you see? So earlier in the show, I was talking about energy and Occidental is a name that everybody's been talking about. Warren Buffett, everybody uh, continues to talk about this stock. It was trading just underneath 63, Scott. We had a big buyer adding to other previous buys in previous sessions. 5,000 of the June 67 and a half calls were being purchased for about $3.25. They were selling an upside call against it, the 75 calls, but I always like to focus on what are they buying. So they're buying these calls, the June 67 and a half, 5,000 of those. Marquetta's the next one. Now, this is a software company. It's not talked about a lot, probably for the reason that it was a $37 company that dropped all the way down to $8.50 today. And we are seeing a buyer of 10,000 of the June 10 calls. Those are going for about 65 cents. That was a pretty interesting trade, trying to see if there's any kind of a bounce off of this hit that this stock has had over the last 52 weeks or so. And then Lucid is my final one, Scott, trading just underneath 18. We had a buyer of 23,000 of the May 20 calls. Those are going for 27 cents up to about 50 cents. Fairly inexpensive, got a little bit of time, not a lot of time, but a little bit of time for these to play out as well. 23,000 is a pretty decent number for this company because when you look at this EV space and the hit a lot of them have taken, they're starting to bounce pretty nice, at least today. So we'll see if that continues. Okay, good stuff. Let's do final trades. Shannon, what do you have for us? IQVIA, data and analytics for those life sciences companies we discussed earlier. Okay, good stuff. Rob Seachin, how about you? AutoZone. Why? Uh, strong top line momentum scores incredibly well on our earnings metrics. Growing top line 15%, year on year earnings 18%. Uh, strong pricing power and ability to pass on inflationary pressures to clients. Okay. I mean, I didn't know if you needed to run. You know, you got a lunch appointment or something like that. But I, th- thanks for the information. I <laughs> you, appreciate Our viewers you, really appreciate it. Pete. <laughs> I'm going to stick with that Occidental trade that we saw, Scott. I think the energy space is continuing to go to the upside. This is a name that's going to fly. Okay. Bryn, what do you have for us? Yeah, JIGB, um, long-duration corporates have had their worst sell-off since March of 2020. Prior to that, it was decades before. You get a 4% yield, and I think the long end is going to be topping out here. Okay. That's Steve Weiss. Let's go with XPO Logistics. Why are you laughing? I was going to go at Rob, but it was too easy. No, don't. Let's go with XPO <laughs> Logistics. Don't waste any more time. <laughs> the you stock, they're breaking the company in two. That's not reflecting fuck. valuation. Even the great quarter's not reflecting the valuation. So XPO. <laughs> but again, you've trimmed your position in this one too. I've you trimmed my position everything. in everything. every single individual name. I just want to be sure. Every single, I, you know, I every sure single I know individual name. Okay, uh, I'll see you in overtime. Uh, in a little bit. Casey Newton's going to join us. We'll talk about the latest in Twitter. He had a very provocative tweet earlier, so you need to see that. Dan Ives, he calls this a generational buying opportunity in tech. So I'll see it for a few hours. The exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. 
people today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.